So this sermon is the first in a series of three that asks the overarching question, why Christian? The purposes of the series are threefold. The first purpose is to address some basic Christian beliefs about Jesus and the church. For example, who is Jesus? What difference does he make in history, in our particular history? And what is the church? And what difference does it make in the world? My second purpose is to offer a counter-narrative. A counter-narrative to the narrative or the story of the church's decline in the West, particularly, particularly in these United States. We hear little other than bad news in view of traditional markers of success or growth, polls, budgets, attendance. I think we had some UNC fans who maybe typically sit over here. <laughs> Couldn't make it in today. <laughs> rough night. It was a rough night. <laughs> but, but with this series, no offense to you guys, I'm glad you're here. Um, but with this series, I wish to show just how compelling and challenging and enchanting and reasonable the Christian life is, even in the midst of a time and a culture that has every reason to think otherwise. As well, I, I hope to show how our church is and continue to be a light in this darkness. My third purpose is to provoke thoughtful responses to the extent that the difference Jesus makes may take effect in our communal and individual lives. That is, once we embrace the Lordship of the risen Jesus, there can be no neutral ground. What should discipleship with such conviction look like in a time of passive, watered-down, domesticated religion? Today we begin with the person and work of Jesus Christ as we consider the question, what difference does Jesus make? That's the question for today. What difference does Jesus make? And this question is one of extraordinary importance in our age of increasing doubt and confusion and cynicism. It has become one of the recurring questions in my own pilgrimage. Why is this so? We don't have to be social scientists to recognize that anyone can live a good life without knowing Jesus. Anyone can live a good life without ever having heard of Jesus. In fact, more and more it's possible to grow up in the United States, to keep your nose clean, honor your parents, get a good education, have a full circle of friends, learn an instrument, be a doting parent, practice meditation, give to charity, be the CEO of a charity, and die surrounded by family and friends, having made the world a better place, all without ever having set foot in a church. Why Christian? What difference does Jesus make? 
Years ago, I read a lovely collection of essays by Kurt Vonnegut entitled, A Man Without a Country. There, I found one of his assertions about faith very challenging. The realization that you can live a good life without being a Christian was not new to me at the time, but it struck me as fascinating that one could love Jesus as much as Vonnegut did and still call yourself, as he did, a Christ-loving atheist. <laughs> I've heard a lot of them, but that's a good one. A Christ-loving atheist. He also insisted that his second marriage be in a church because churches are beautiful and holy. But in his essay, one of his essays, Vonnegut talks about one of his favorite subjects, Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount. And he proclaims, if Christ hadn't delivered the Sermon on the Mount with its message of mercy and pity, I wouldn't want to be a human being. I'd just as soon be a rattlesnake. But then, and here's the rub, he asks, if what Jesus said is good and so much of it is absolutely beautiful, what does it matter if he was God or not. It can be an intimidating question. If you just keep Jesus' words in your heart, why do you need all this transcendence stuff? If you can just accept the beautiful wisdom of the sermon, why does it matter if Jesus performed miracles or that he died on a cross or that he was raised from the dead? This may be an even more intimidating question for us now than it was when he wrote it 15 years ago, with the increasing anxiety in the churches, the swelling ranks of the nuns, and those who identify as spiritual but not religious, another moniker. A very strange description, by the way, spiritual but not religious. When people tell me they're spiritual but not religious, I say, uh, I'm not religious either. And they say, but you're a minister. I say, exactly. It's just true. What Jesus says is just true. We don't have to put a, a category on it. It just is. Another sermon for another day, perhaps. But I believe the assumptions buoying Vonnegut's question, what does it matter if Jesus is God or not? can actually point us to deeper understanding of the difference Jesus makes and therefore a deeper faith. So let's consider two of Vonnegut's assumptions. The first is this, that a fully human being who was not also fully divine could think up something like the Beatitudes. For help here, we need theologian Karl Barth. In Barth's earth-shaking book, Epistle to the Romans, he argues that God is God, we are not. We cannot save ourselves. Only God can save us. Even more, God reveals God's self and human history from outside of human history. That's important. God's revelation, Bart says, is like an arrow from the other side of a shore on which we will never set foot. Yet it hits us. That's the origin of the Sermon on the Mount. It comes not from the mere human mind, 
but from the heart of God. God creates time. God can dwell within time and outside of time. God sends wisdom from outside of time into time, in flesh, in history, and it's revealed to us. Something that wasn't in history enters history and becomes part of the story of God's salvation of people who live in time. So I believe this crucial oversight of Vonnegut's question, and don't get me wrong, I love Vonnegut, I love this man, and I, I continue to adore him, and I recommend his books, especially Slaughterhouse-Five, which was banned, by the way, and you youth, our young people, I encourage you to read banned books like that. Especially if a fundamentalist Christian told you not to. <laughs> so I love Vonnegut but there's, a, there's an oversight in this first assumption that eventually human beings would have figured out how to say the Beatitudes apart from revelation apart from the sheer gift of God in Jesus Christ that human beings on their own, would eventually have figured out how to say the poor are blessed and that to love our enemies is to become like God. Such wisdom arose nowhere else and in no one else until it became manifest in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's in this way that we can say with Bart that Jesus, as the word of God made flesh, is the arrow that strikes us from a distant shore. That is a crucial part of the difference Jesus makes. He shows us what we would have never known apart from God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Second assumption underlying Vonnegut's question, what does it matter if Jesus is God or not, is this, that we could ever separate the Sermon on the Mount from the life, death, and resurrection of the one who preaches it. This is another crucial difference that Jesus makes. He not only articulates the fullness of God's wisdom in the Sermon on the Mount with words. Jesus not only teaches salvation. He's more than a guru. He is salvation. He reveals the meanings, writes the definitions, embodies the sermon he preaches with his life. Jesus is the poor in spirit. He is the one who mourns. He is the persecuted one. He is the merciful one. He is the pure in heart. He's the one who makes peace. In his death and resurrection, he is the meek one who inherits the earth. And we would not know what this meekness means if we didn't see it happen later, fleshed out in Matthew. The only other time Matthew uses the word meek the only other time is when he's describing Jesus entering Jerusalem as a king on a donkey. We were expecting a king on a stallion. The God of Jesus Christ is so meek, 
He refuses to establish the kingdom of heaven by force. That's why this meekness is blessed. With such meekness, Jesus reveals God's character. We would not know the fulfillment of meekness apart from the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus not only speaks something into existence that the philosophers and religious leaders across history had never thought to say, he lives out what no one else could or would. Jesus' life story is the key to understanding the Sermon on the Mount and the very character of God. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but the Sermon on the Mount is not sensible. Loving our enemies is not good common sense. Loving enemies is the cornerstone, however, of Luke's version of the sermon. Right after his version of the Beatitudes, which are blessings and woes, the very next thing Jesus says in the sermon, the very first words of the body of a sermon, love your enemies. In Matthew's version, the Sermon on the Mount, it is actually the keystone. So if you imagine everything wrapped around in an arc, a keystone holding up the arch, is love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Loving enemies is what set the early Christians apart. And here's the difference Jesus makes. We would not have come up with this apart from divine revelation coming to full expression in this God-man's life. We needed God to enter history from outside of history, not only to call us to love our enemies, but also to show us what this truth means and looks like. There's a story of Martin Luther King Jr. That one of his dear friends would tell. Happened around 1960. This was, this was before King became really famous. It was right after he became an Ebenezer Baptist Church's pastor in Atlanta, coming after his father. He'd just come out of the courthouse that day. He'd been tried on some kind of misdemeanor charge for marching or protesting or something. And there was a little crowd there following him outside of the courthouse all the way back to his office. And this one man comes alongside King and he starts bumping him and shoving him into the crowd. And King just keeps getting back on the sidewalk and walking. Pushed in the crowd, steps back onto the sidewalk, pushed in, back, keeps walking. All of a sudden, King turns to the man and gets right in his face. And he says, you know, I love you. And the guy starts cursing him. And King simply kept walking all the way back to his office. This is a terrible idea. If you're interested in self-preservation or even conventional justice, only God could reconcile the hostility between human beings between God and us. Did you know that we were God's enemies until Jesus Christ reconciled the hostility between us, put an end to it, brought down the dividing wall, left it and scattered across a, a horizon 
opened up the space between us and God. Saying Jesus is God is not to say he's a superhero. Rather is to say that the origins of our salvation matters. Rather is to say Jesus reveals and unveils God and history in ways that mere mortals never could have achieved. This, at least in part, is what it means to say that Jesus saves us from our sins. He has thought for us what we could not think. He has done for us what we could not do. He came in a way no one else had or could, and he went where no one else had ever gone, and still he goes before us to prepare a place for us. What difference does Jesus make in your life? Jesus shows us God was no longer content to come to us through the prophets and leave us to discern God's acts and history through them alone. Jesus shows us that God does not reach us only through book. Jesus shows us that finally God has reached us through a person, through flesh, breath, and blood. What difference does Jesus make in your life? Jesus not only shows us precisely what a faithful life looks like, he gives us the power to live it. Step by step, word by word, embrace by embrace. And picks us up every time we fail. What difference does Jesus make in your life? Jesus shows us, in ways we would have never known apart from his faith, that he is the name of God's gentle refusal to be without being with us in person. And so therefore, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is no greater name on earth or under the earth or above the earth than the name of Jesus Christ.